Hey there, it's me, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, that redheaded actor from Modern Family. I have a podcast. It's combining a couple of my favorite things, talking and food. Please join me as I dine with the biggest names in entertainment, people like Julie Bowen, Kristen Bell, Fred Armisen, and so many more. It's called Dinners on Me, and you're invited. Am I saying a chocolate souffle is going to get me to reveal all of my secrets? Yeah, I am. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Jonathan Capehart, and welcome to Cape Up. Things are so crazy with impeachment and Syria and everything Trump. So there's no better person to talk to than the former chairman of the Republican Party, Michael Steele. Buckle up and listen to everything right now. Michael Steele, welcome back to the podcast. I, I can't believe I'm back in the neighborhood. This I, is amazing. I mean, you amazing. are. Yes, you are. What well, This is like your fourth visit. Yeah. You're, you like me. You really like me. <laughs> All right, Sally Field. <laughs> All right, but we do, we, we do have serious things to talk about. Yes. A lot of serious things to talk about. I want to read, get your reaction mm-hmm. to a tweet I sent out. I may have already um, reacted to it on oh, Twitter. And I, just don't, and I just don't know. But let me read it for those who might not have seen it and then get you to respond. Mm-hmm. I tweeted out, the Constitution is being shredded. America's reputation is being pummeled. Our standing as a beacon of hope and stability has been decimated. I'm old enough to remember when the Republican Party defended all three with abandon. Now it's abandoned our republic. Wow. Yes. I saw that this morning when I got up. I was like the first thing I saw was a tweet from Jonathan K. Popper on my phone. And there was a lot of people retweeting it and liking it. Powerful statement. Absolutely true. Sadly, because the Republican Party has figured it is better to put on its Trump attitude than its constitutional attitude. And, and what I mean by that is it is better for the party to spend its time uh, as a supplicant of the uh, cult of personality that sits inside the White House than it is to stand on those very foundational ideals that define the party uh, and that we ultimately uh, would define ourselves uh, individually uh, as as Republicans. Well, and it just makes me wonder – like, did the party really believe anything? How is it possible that all yeah. of these things that were bedrock, I mean, bedrock, yeah. I remember Republicans as a kid, as a young adult, now as an old man, being lectured mm-hmm. to by Republicans. I wasn't patriotic enough. I wasn't God-fearing enough. Right. I was gay and right. all those right. other things and what that meant in terms of how I fit in or from that perspective didn't fit into America, that those people who believed those things right. were the true Americans. And then in one election cycle, all of that's abandoned? Yeah, I think one word sums up what you've just described uh, and your experience uh, in dealing with the Republican Party. Psych! <laughs> <laughs> I know it, it, that Seriously. was so perfect. That was so perfect. And I know this is serious, but that was the perfect That's it. response. That's exactly. That's it. Psych. Because now all that stuff, we didn't mean any of that. None of it. Because now we're in a space where you get to see who we really are. Now, let me let me clarify this. The who we really are part does not include me because <laughs> that ain't me. The the, the part that you just you described just now 
about what we stood for, what we value, sort of the non-judgmental party that looked at individuals and said, yeah, you get to make these decisions for yourself. Remember back in those days, and I was... Non-judgmental, not on the LGBTQ stuff. Well... But I get what you're saying. No, no, no. But remember, I'm talking about a time when those issues were not part of the mainstream discussion to begin with. So, I see what you're saying. You know, so that was not... The party's core attitude back in the 60s, 70s, and really early 80s before Reagan sort of bought into the whole moral majority thing mm-hmm. um, was one of live and let live. I mean, the party was about the economic ideals and making sure that you could do your business the way you wanted to do it. You could, If you wanted to raise your family, say, well, we're not going to get into social issues. Remember, those social issues weren't a part of our party platform, weren't a part of our political discussion until the 1980 election. And that is when... I was coming into consciousness. And that's when you were coming into consciousness. Right. And that's the Republican Party I'm really talking about. Right, right. And so keep explaining. Right. So so what's happened is out of a mix of things, one, going back to the Goldwater race, two, going back to the Nixon 68 race, where you had this combination of forces where Democrats decided, oh, we're doing civil rights. And Republicans went, oh— we can win presidential election with all those angry white men who are leaving the Democratic Party in the South. Because that's what, that was the political mm-hmm. calculation. Nixon codified that, if you will, with his Southern strategy. And it was a... It worked. It worked. It was an accurate calculation because we would win presidential elections. What we lost track of and lost sight of fundamentally were the very things that you were talking about because there is a price to pay when you allow people who have such a hardened attitude against their neighbor. Because that hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. Those white folks are still there. We see them now wearing khakis and Izod shirts and and walking around. You just dated yourself with that. I I know. I know. But that's, you know, they don't call them Izods anymore. What do they call them? Polos. They still have the alligator on it? Yeah. All right. I mean, I still have some. There we go. I'm old school. That's all I'm saying. Why are you giving me a fashion tip in the middle of my very important point? Please proceed. Thank you. So, (laughs) this is how we roll, people. I know, really. Just hang on. Just hang on. Hang on, on, We'll get back to it in a moment. (laughs) Right, go on. But no, but seriously, it's it's one of those things that you have the offspring of that generation now playing out that same narrative inside the Republican Party. And, And what Trump did was like, that'll work for me. Because if I can tap into your your frustrations, your anger enough to get you off a couch that you've been sitting on for 25, 30 years and go to the polls and vote for me, hey, guess what? We got a thing. And that's where we are. So the the rest of the party is going, well, that would never happen. <laughs> yeah. And it did. It's because that element has been there for a long time. And it just literally was awakened by Trump in a way that we see manifest right now. So the party, I mean, I saw elements of it when I was chairman. I saw people, um, you know, sort of uh, scratching their heads going, well, who are these people? What, right. what, what, where did they come from? Where did they come from? They had been there all the time. Uh, and so when they reared up through Tea Party, when they reared up through Trumpism, everybody in the, quote, establishment, uh, the sort of the old world order of republicanism, I uh, really didn't know what to do with them, and they still don't. Well, I mean, I would I would say that some of them, by not knowing what to do, 
have rendered themselves silent and then therefore just by their silence yeah. are communicating a lot a lot and you know i'm a strong believer even though this is no secret i'm a democrat i am slightly left of center mm-hmm. and believe me i've got a lot of friends who are way <laughs> left of center so um don't at me right um but I believe in a two-party system. I believe in a strong Democratic Party, but I also believe in a strong Republican Party because when you have two strong parties competing um, in a competition of ideas about ways to move the country forward, right, right. the country only gets better well, from a I vigorous th- debate. And, he- and here's what's so disappointing about about this moment. I have seen Republicans who I respected mm-hmm. stay silent in the face of things I know they are um, apoplectic about. And, and I'm going to name names. The person I'm thinking of is Senator Susan Collins of Maine. I, 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 it hurts me that she is mute, that she is silent over things that Tough the election. that the president is doing, and so and and I and I know that's Tough I election. know that's the case, and so back to the original thing: Did the party really? Did she really believe any of this stuff? She, if you really believe in well, the it, ideals it, of the Republican Party, you stand up. Electoral consequences be damned. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Um, no, no. no. Oh. Well, but OK, so let's let's step back from it, because what you're saying is is something that is applicable on both sides across the board. You know, I hate that phrase. I know you do, but it's true. Um, it is because political our politics is denigrated to the point where and trust me, you're going to see this on the Democratic side, too. I mean, how, how do you think those how do you think those Democrats in red districts are going to keep those seats? What, what do you think they're going to say? Look at look at the slow walk that some of them have made on impeachment. They weren't out there with a lot of your progressive friends screaming, yes, let's impeach them. I get because that. they sat back and looked at their looked at their the demographics of their districts and went, I don't need to be primaried from my left. And so, OK, I guess so, they're not morally equivalent. But I'm just saying they are morally. They're politically. I'm equi- sorry. The Democratic Party is not standing by while the Constitution is being shredded. I, by under- its standard I understand. Bearer. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about the politics okay. of of whether or not you say something. OK. And that's right. a, and that is that a good, the that question is a good you reminder. asked me. Right. That is exactly you didn't ask right. Me about moral equivalencies. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you asked me about the politics of why people keep their mouth shut. That and the <laughs> politics of why people keep their mouth shut is that they're looking looking to their life, their right and their left, and they're making a judgment about their own political viability. I happen to disagree with that position because it has never been a position that I've held in public life. When I was a lieutenant governor, when I was even RNC chairman, mm-hmm. and I paid a price in both of those cases where I lost my seat because particularly in, in, in the race for, for chairman, I mean, yeah, I could have played the ball with everybody here in town, which is what I was told a thousand times. Your problem is, chairman, you don't play ball. You don't play well with others. No, I don't play well with others. I'm sorry, <laughs> I don't. Because when you come into the space, if you come in like right now, inside the party, there's all this churning and consternation about the vendors and, and the consultants making out like fat cats at the expense of party operations. Hello, that's why I was elected. And that's what people wanted me to come and address. I addressed it. So you have you have these dynamics in politics where people 
decide what's in my self-interest, mm-hmm. not what's in the best interest of the community at large. That's why I admire, despite our political differences and battles, Elijah Cummings. Because at the end of the day, you could get in a room with him and say, okay, what's in the best interest of the people who live in this district, who live in the city of Baltimore, who live in the state of Maryland? And there would be a way in which you can work that. So a lot of political players today don't address or d- adapt that kind of attitude where it's it's a zero-sum space for them. If I don't behave or, or react or respond a certain way, then things will be okay or things will not be okay. So I'm making that judgment of whether or not I'm going to survive that. And that's unfortunate because the idea of standing – as we go back to the first part of the question – Standing on those constitutional ideals that you said defined who you are politically and defined your party, that's secondary. And a lot of that was in the process of changing before Trump showed up. So Mm -hmm. I'm not going to put all that at Trump's feet. What Trump did, he was like, okay, let's just go full bore. Let's go into it, right? And everybody was like, okay. The problem is the other side of okay, it will be a lot of no's. From, from the public and go, you know what? No, we're not buying that anymore. We're not buying what you're selling. We don't believe you. We don't trust you. We, we, now, we, knew, we know where you stood when children were put in cages. We know where you stood when um, you, the president of the United States uh, left our allies on the battlefield. We know where you stood. And you go through that checklist. Mm-hmm. And so that becomes – that then gets into the moral part of your your question – Morally, how do you reconcile putting children in cages? Because if your moral compass is off on that in the first instance, your political <laughs> answer is going to be what we saw. And that's, that's the space the party finds itself in right now. It is so disoriented in its moral compass. In other words, it can't even write itself on the very fundamental things that it – it's easy to write oneself on Charlottesville, yeah. Baltimore, mm-hmm. children in cages, allies left on the battlefield. Now, you've seen some Republicans now reacting to the, um, the decision by the president uh, regarding Syria uh, and sort of wholesale uh, leaving the Kurds to slaughter, right? So you've seen some. So there is that, and you see that you can see the tension almost play itself out well, and you right can, in front of you. Yeah, and you can see it play out. In one individual, right. Lindsey Graham, right. Senator Graham exactly. of South Carolina. Like, I was about to how, say. <laughs> how does he do this? On the one hand, carry the president's water when it comes to impeachment, because right. I can see what I've seen and I've heard what I've heard, and yet you're still backing the president. <laughs> right. But then when it comes to the Kurds, he is apoplectic. I will fight him tooth and nail. I will go up. Yeah, OK. When you're going to hit him with a golf club on right. Saturday? Right. That's about right. Well, and here's the problem. He ain't playing golf with the president on Saturday because the president now is a little bit miffed at him. So you're going to see a, a recorrection uh, or a correction of that to some degree, um, I suspect, um, where 
Lindsay will still have the verbato. He'll beat his chest, but the way he beats his chest is like okay, one, <laughs> one fist, not both, right? Uh-huh. You know. And can we talk? Can we talk about the other characters in the Greek chorus that is the Republican <laughs> Party? And I'm t- thinking of uh, Jim Jordan. Where's his sport coat? Could someone please? please I want to do a, a Jerry Lewis telethon to get that man a sport give coat. Him a coat, please. Give um, him a coat. Uh, Mark Meadows of North Carolina. And then there's that other guy, Matt yeah, Getz. Matt Getz, yeah. And these guys, although we haven't heard from them in a little bit, but they're out there trying to tell us, you didn't see what you saw. You right. didn't hear what you heard. Right. Oh, right. oh, and I left out the biggest <laughs> member of the Greek chorus, and that's House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. See, Kevin McCarthy is a problem for everybody else because Kevin <laughs> – Kevin, oh, God bless Kevin. He went out there and he started singing before everybody had the song sheet. Right, before the ink was dry, the ink on, was dry. on the music. And now they're looking at the music and go, Kevin, Kevin, those aren't, those aren't the lyrics. Kevin, that's not what we're oh, saying. Well, even worse, he goes on television to sing the song. <laughs> And then is revealed to not have actually looked at, at the, the lyrics. Haven't looked at the music. See, you added a word there. Uh, no, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. Right, Michael. Who are these well, people? See, well, but that's it. That is, and what I was surprised. And again, I have to. You know, I, I love you guys in the media, but I, I really wish someone had either written the piece or did the um, the interview on air, in which they just focused on that moment. Because that was so telling. And what was telling about it? They were so knee-jerk in protecting this president that they went out there and immediately started going down talking down the line of talking points without even looking at what the rest of us had seen. Right. So it wasn't even a matter of, I'm going to take the documents that the White House put out. I know that's the other thing they put out the documents. <laughs> they didn't even look at the document that the White House. Everybody in their brother had focused on that sentence, right? That before he had that in, or yes. at the time he was having that interview. So even good staff, no, bad staff work would come to you. And go, uh, just be mindful. Everyone's talking about that. Am I am, am I wrong in thinking Sorry, that anyway. we are watching? A very serious thing happened to the country that's being perpetrated and aided and abetted by some really dumb folks. <laughs> I won't say that. And I don't ask that to, to make light no, of things. No, I know you're not. I know. Kevin you... McCarthy, Leader McCarthy goes on television, to your point, thinking that he's going to pull one over on right. Scott Pelley in right. 60 Minutes, only to find out, oh, wow, I got caught flat-footed. Again. And what always struck me about when people would play that clip, they wouldn't play the others, the rest of it, and and how he responds to getting caught. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Oh, but that oh is is symptomatic and emblematic of the entire relationship between the Republican leadership and Trump, because every moment is oh, oh, okay. I got, oh, okay. Gotcha. Oh. And, and so at some point, at some point, they have to realize that this is not serving the better interest of the country and is certainly not serving the best interest of the party. Going back to a point that you raised before about 
the two parties and and all and and how the Republicans and how we want a viable two party system. I've always liked the idea of a two party system. I love the idea of a multi party system better. And I think what we're seeing, what we potentially could be seeing, is Republicans creating a space for the emergence of we'll call a third way, another way where um, the numbers are there. The numbers are there. The question becomes whether the political leadership that has abandoned the GOP, some of the political leadership that have sort of on the sidelines with the with the Democrats who aren't necessarily happy with the, you know, we want you to have health care the way we want you to have health care crowd, right? Um, what do they do politically? Do they – and I know because I've heard and been a part of several conversations – around the country about how some of that may take take shape and form. So we'll see. Won't be 2020 for sure. But I think going into future elections, certainly uh, through the work that, you know, I and a lot of others uh, are doing in the national popular vote space, we could see a dynamic shift in the body politic by the time we get to the presidential election of 2024. And the question will be, where is the GOP in that space? Not 2020, because that's going to be whatever that's going to be at this point. Trump is going to be a factor regardless. You, you, can't, get a, you right. can't get around that. But 2024, what does um, a Nikki Haley or John Kasich or others do um, as they are now looking at an empty slate, an open space, and a very, very pissed off? Republic, everyday citizens, voters, who looked at the GOP, to your point, and said, not only did you abandon the Constitution, you abandoned us. And that's going to be that's going to be a very tough conversation, I think, for a lot of Republicans, particularly those who were inside the administration, um, and particularly those who carried that water irrespective of facts, irrespective of truth, and irrespective of, again, the, the more important word, the moral imperative um, when it came to some things that were so fundamental that not only did you blink, you closed your eyes to them. And I think people are going to have a problem with that. Should the president be impeached? I think at this point, yeah, the evidence says, yeah, at, at a minimum, at a minimum, you have to have a trial because I want to see I want to see this evidence put out here. I want to see this evidence um, laid bare. This is the problem I have, though. The Democrats are running this show <laughs> and I just, you know. You don't have any faith that Democrats can put can no because they land ha- the plane. They have not shown their ability to land that sapsucker. They just have not shown the ability to bring it in. And if they if they look, I'm just telling them, would you please just trust Nancy? I that's and that's something for me to say. <laughs> okay, <laughs> just so we're clear, America, that's something for me to say. I have such respect for this woman. She is a formidable political presence today. Trump knows it. That picture of her standing up and looking at the president and all these men sitting there with their head down between their knees. With Kevin McCarthy bracing for impact with his hands pressing the table. (laughs) And she's like, 
all roads lead to Putin. Let us be clear. No confusion here. No supper for you tonight. Right? That's... Yeah. Go sit in the corner. Mama's mad. Yes. So, but there, you know, the president is making this, now I won't say easy, but the president's, the president is certainly making evidence available. <laughs> okay. Handing it over right, in, in right. forms of notes of phone calls and then standing out on the South Lawn right. and saying, hey, you know, not only should they investigate Biden and Ukraine, you know, China. <laughs> And you know why he does that? Because this, I've been hearing this conversation the last few days. It's, it's been hysterical, people making that point, because he's so cocksure of where he is. That mindset, that mentality that he has is like, I'm untouchable. Right. There's nothing. Look, I literally can shoot someone on Fifth Avenue, or guess what? I can stand in front of the United States Congress and just tear at the Constitution, and they won't do anything. Mm-hmm. And, and they're not. And they're not they're not doing anything. And they're not doing anything. So he is he is self-absorbed to the point where he thinks he's Superman, invulnerable. Mm-hmm. He's he's totally untouchable. Um, but what I like to say is, and and to remind folks, kryptonite's a funny thing. <laughs> do, do tell. And Nancy's got kryptonite. The Constitution is the ultimate kryptonite. And I think that moment is rapidly approaching where taking that picture of Nancy standing in that room, she takes that kryptonite out of her purse and puts it on the table and walks out of the room. And homeboy can't get up because he's now too weak. And I think that's her play. I think that's, that's why I'm saying trust Nancy. Should the president be convicted? Ah, now that's a different story. Um, I and, mean, and that well, from the stuff we've seen, from the stuff we've seen and would, heard, and heard, it would lead one to believe that the preponderance of the evidence that will be presented to the Senate, that would be um, the Supreme Court Justice Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts, would oversee that trial, would suggest Houston, we have a problem, right? Trump has a problem. I'm still not sure that that even happens. Because of Senate Majority Leader Mitch yes, McConnell. Because I think we need to be very smart about what McConnell says and what he's not saying. Mm-hmm. McConnell, the only thing Mitch McConnell said is if the House has an impeachment, we will, quote, take it up in the Senate, end quote. Oh, I... Do we know what that means, people? Exactly. And and a whole encyclopedia's <laughs> worth of uh, possibilities just sort of tumbled oh, after that period just yes. invisibly. Yes. If you know that man the way you just described yes. it. Yes. Him. So please don't think that because he says, oh, we'll take that up, meaning that they're actually going to do a trial. Right. Multi-day right. with televised hearings. No, it could be no. it could be like a couple of hours. It, no, not even that. It could be we've we've looked at what they presented and we see no need to move forward on it. <laughs> wait, wait. No, ab, I'm telling. 
Oh, absolutely. So, so he will just come in and say, "Okay, um, Speaker Pelosi, we've gotten your articles of impeachment." There you go. Keep talking. And yep. um, looking at everything here on here, everything. I mean, there's no need for us to do a trial, and therefore he has fulfilled and his he's, duty. He's that he's fulfilled just fulfilled his duty. Because when he when the Senate takes up a matter, that's what happens. Right. The majority leader assesses whether or not this is something that he's going to put before the members, whether or not this is something the appropriate committees would take up, whether or not something like this would actually get to the Senate floor. What's the political calculation that would Uh, move Leader McConnell from just accepting the articles of impeachment and then saying nothing to see here to, oh, wow, I've got them. And now we have to, at a minimum, have two things couple hours the way it unfolds in the house if it unfolds in the house in a way that the american people believe is credible now to nancy's credit what the way she has done this so far has moved the needles again helped by the president's own i'm so cocky here take all this evidence and see what you can do with it right so we've gone from 45, 46% of the American people saying, uh, yeah, I don't even know if I want to do an investigation. Right. To 52% of the people saying, not only do I want you to do an investigation, but he should be removed from office. Trust Nancy. All right. So that, that process has kind of worked itself the correct way. The other six committees that are looking at various things, once they ha- go through their process and they get in the room and decide which of the evidence from the hearings that we have put together the articles of impeachment, what will be the exact articles? That will matter a mm-hmm. lot. And if that process is viewed by the public, even though they instinctively know, yes, impeachment is a political it is a, process. It is a political process. But if it's, if it's a partisan process— And that doesn't mean necessarily that um, Republicans have to sign on. I think you will have at least one Republican sign on, and that's probably Will Hurd. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you've got to have a percentage of Republicans sign on. What I'm saying is the Democrats have to treat that process with the kind of respect and Mm -hmm. reverence and and political um, neutrality, partisan neutrality. So that this is about educating and informing the public. That's what this whole process in the House right. has got to be about. And 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 to your point, that is what Speaker Pelosi is doing. Trust that Nancy. trust Nancy. All right. So when you when you do that, that's step one. That makes it hard then for McConnell to disrespect what the House does and says, well, that was a bunch of bull. That was just political witchery. You know, you guys were playing games. You weren't serious. You just wanted to go after after the president because you're partisans. Boom. Right? That's that's their ideal response that they're looking for. That's ultimately because that thing gives them cover. That gives right. them covers. Of, well, we took it up and we saw that this was just a partisan hack job and we're not going to dignify it. That's one. Two. Those eight, nine, or ten Senate Republicans go, uh, well, that was a credible process in the House. In my state, people want a trial. Let's do a trial. Because at the end, what McConnell wants to do more than probably protect the president, two things. One, he wants 
to be the guy who transformed the judiciary. judiciary. And two, he wants to protect his members. And so that pressure will force him because once the trials start, it's kind of out of his hands because the chief justice is the one who's going to be overseeing the trial. They're jurors. And you know in any trial, all the jurors get to do is sit there. The chief justice will be the one who's deciding on the evidence, the validity, the acceptance of the evidence. Oh, Lord. <laughs> That's not going to be as bad as you think, my friend. No, no, no. I, and, and you know what? That is the one Because one thing I know about uh, Justice, Justice Roberts, he is, he is a stickler. And he doesn't want this, st- this political stain to wash up on his court. Because he's already seeing, talk about, you know, rising tides. He's seeing the water wash over those front steps of the Supreme Court Absolutely. as a result of, definitely as a result of the Merrick Garland mess. Absolutely. But most definitely as a result of the, the Justice Kavanaugh. Right. Justice Kavanaugh mess. Right. Um, so Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell um, has written an op-ed. Uh, for us, for the post, uh, goat railing kind of at the president over what he's done in Syria with Turkey and the Kurds. And he's got these three lessons um, um, that we should have learned as a result of the, I'm putting words in his mouth here, war, war on terror. Lesson number one is that the threat is real and cannot be wished away. This is about about mm-hmm. the terrorist threat. Second, there is no substitute for American leadership. True. Three, um, is that we are not in this fight alone. So all on, three of those points are accurate and true. And and yet this op-ed is there are a lot of holes. There's a lot of both sides thing. All oh, President Obama started this by not doing the Syria red line thing. And, you know, the president, you know, we really should respect our, our relationships and our and our alliances and leaving out all the other things the president said, like, you know, they got to clean that up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. th- lots of really creepy genocidal <laughs> ethnic cleansing talk from the president of the United States. Yeah, he's, he, he's parroting uh, Erdogan and, and Putin. So in, in these three lessons, and I know I haven't given you much more than um, – then the, oh, and the, he says, unfortunately, the administration's recent steps in Syria do not reflect these crucial lessons. Right. What is he trying to do here? Is it's a he... half shot across the bow. It's a half shot across the bow. It's telling the president, um, you're not on strong footing here uh, with Republicans in the Senate. The fact that he wrote that and made those statements publicly and had that sort of water down the president is not – you know, not adhering to these lessons uh, kind of language. Um, it's a soft shot across the bow, um, and it's not going to get much harder or heavier than that um, because the last thing they want is the president at, you know, you know, 6 a.m., 11 a.m., 3 p.m., because, you know, there's no other work going on in the White House right. um, to tweet out something that, you know, as we saw with uh, the president's response to Lindsey Graham, uh, which was, quote, Lindsey should focus on the judiciary. In other words, uh, stay in your lane and do what you do. Don't even think you can tell me what I'm doing. And, of course, you know, that clap back on Lindsey got, got him all frazzled. Mm-hmm. Um, and and, and <laughs> I was going to deliver that yeah, with a straight face yeah, until you laughed. Got all frazzled. <laughs> got on. all frazzled. Um, 
But um, that's what you're seeing is sort of the soft rebuttal to the president um, by the leader. I mean, because that that could have been a much look. Let's put it this way: if Barack Obama had done this, oh please, that 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 this editorial on, in the post would be on fire. Would be on fire. It would be hot as hell. This man would have been condemned oh, yeah. to eternity. Yep. As a son of a bitch. Yep. Trust me, right? But this is a soft response saying, you know, Mr. President, there are these three things that, you know, history has taught us are important. You know, that we won, you know, allies, and we do that. And, yeah. and you know, you're kind of a little bit outside of that right now. So can you just come back inside the fence? And the Trump is not, because Trump is not listening to I, Mitch McConnell. I know. That's why I'm thinking, why are you wasting your time <laughs> He's with listening this? to two people right now, Mr. Putin and Mr. Erdogan. That's it. Right. That, that's his p- space of interest. That's the only those. That's one eyeball on Putin and one eyeball on Erdogan. That's it. Mm-hmm. There's no there's no third eye for Mitch McConnell and the Republicans and their outrage at what the president's done. Uh, let me uh, end this interview because we do have to go. Oh, we I'm we so have sad. we, we can so stand here. here. Stay well, here I tell you what, we'll, we will but, return the favor, and you'll come on my podcast, the Michael oh. Steele podcast. We'll see if we can set that up for next week. You are so you think you clever. <laughs> no, 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 you're, you're what did I do? Your podcast I just on my, my podcast. I, I just that's. I, that, I said you, know, you can come I, and I, hang I, out with I'm Michael Steele on the Michael Steele podcast. I didn't pitch it. There anything. we go, three times. <laughs> I, and I'm not hating. I'm just I'm impressed. I do want to. I end, can't wait to say good things about K-pop. I do want to end on a on a serious yeah. note because you you mentioned Chairman Cummings, Chairman Elijah Cummings, yeah. uh, earlier in the conversation. I saw the piece that you wrote about about Chairman Cummings. Um, for folks who didn't know him or just knew who he was just superficially talk about who he was to you uh he was a democrat okay died in the wool democrat and you died in the wool republican Republican. yeah uh both from maryland uh baltimore for cummings uh prince george's for me there's always that battle between those two uh elijah cummings was um an acute partisan he was you cut him and it was total democrat and i knew that and respected that going in uh into my relations with him and they they were rocky at times where I, you know i think like, yeah, what is hell is this man seriously you know but what i got to know and learn about him was something that we shared and that was a passion for the people he served and it, at the end of the day, it didn't matter. I remember talking with his office on some things that we were doing on in economic development, trying to revitalize the economic development corridors in Baltimore, which were in his district. He was very responsive to that. That's why in the piece that I wrote, I talked about uh, both of us. I used to say when I was lieutenant governor, it's one thing to own, uh, you know, to sit at the lunch counter. What we as black folk need to be about is owning the diner. He liked that, and he bought into that idea, and we worked together, and he was really good at making the sausage, as I said. Um, And that was how he came into it. And I think people need to understand that, yeah, you can be partisan, and you can go at each other, but there is a moment, and it genuinely is, when I see that Jonathan needs help, 
and I can either step all over my opponent and do the political fight, or I can find out how can I help you help Jonathan? How can you help me help Jonathan? Because at the end of the day, that's what public service is about. That's why I called him a servant leader. Because, yes, he was a leader. He led big committees. He was the man in the room. He was the power in the room. But he was not afraid as a, as, as a leader to understand that he was also in service to others. And in that service, speak truth to that very power that he represented. Michael Steele, former chairman of the Republican Party, thank you very much for coming back yet again, yet again. to Cape Up. So good. Thanks for listening to Cape Up. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. And how about doing me a huge favor? Subscribe, rate, and review us. I'm Jonathan Capehart of The Washington Post. You can find me on Twitter at CapehartJ. Capehart J.